Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I stated at the beginning of the service, we are continuing our sermon series about our greatest needs. And, and what we're getting a chance to look at is how the Bible exposes some of the problems that you and I have as God's people, our deficiencies when it comes to spiritual matters. And yet, that same Bible gives us God's solution, the way that God has the answer to our greatest needs. Today, from the story of Abraham, we'll see that the gift that God promised Abraham was a gift not just for Abraham, but for the whole world. Got me to thinking a little bit about gift giving this week, and I don't want you to be—I uh, don't want you to be modest at this point. I'd really like to know. So raise your hands if you are the type of person that is very thoughtful about giving gifts, so that when you give a gift, you know that the person who receives it really enjoyed it. Okay, who are my thoughtful gift givers? You can raise your hands. We have some. Great, excellent. I'm proud of you. That is not me. I am more the person that guesses hopes that I get something that the person will like and maybe can use, that maybe it'll be kind of something that will be beneficial to them, but I'm never quite sure. Can I give you a for instance? This Valentine's Day, I decided, since they were on sale, to get my wife a Roomba for Valentine's Day. You can give me your constructive criticism later, it's fine. It's not the most romantic gift, I understand. It's not chocolate-covered strawberries, it's, it's not roses, it's not chocolates or a nice dinner, but maybe, maybe it's at least useful more than one time and, and maybe it'll, we'll get some benefit out of it going down the road. I don't know. I, I struggle. I'm not the greatest gift giver in the world and I struggle to find that gift that will be special and yet will also be something that the person needs and isn't that exactly what God has done? Hasn't he given us exactly what we need in Jesus. And not only did he give us what we need, but it's the most special gift that has ever been given. And that's what we want to see as we look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 8 today, that God's promises to Abraham are a gift to the world. Yes, at first, they are directly given to Abraham. They are a promise for Abraham. But then they are a blessing for all. I want to just stop for a moment and note that, that in our text today, in Genesis chapter 12, he's referred to as Abram. And that's a Hebrew word that means exalted father. It's not until Genesis chapter 17 where God renames him to what we know him better by, the name Abraham, which means father of many, or as Paul said in Romans chapter 4, the father of many nations. For our purposes today, except for when I read the text, I'm going to refer to him as Abraham because that's how we know him. Take a look again with me at Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I want to show you just a little bit of a map to help you understand what's happened. You, you maybe caught it as the chapter 12 said, uh, started, it said, the Lord had said to Abraham. That's because if you go back to chapter 11, this move from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan happened in two parts. 
Move number one was from Ur to Haran, where they stopped. For how long? The Bible doesn't tell us. But Abraham's father, Terah, died while they were in Haran. And then God's call came a second time, and it was time to move from Haran to Canaan. If you did that on what were probably the roads back in Abraham's day, you're looking at about a total of 1,500 miles. About 900 miles from Ur to Haran, and another 550 to almost 600 from Haran to Canaan. That's a lot of miles on your feet. Some have estimated that with the terrain and all of the things they had with them, that you're looking at maybe at best three miles an hour being able to walk. That's over 500 walking hours that Abraham made to move from Ur to Canaan. And it's amazing, isn't it? He just packs up and moves. I don't know how familiar with all of you are with moving. Maybe the last time you moved, you said, we're never doing this again. And then I think of our students who move every single year. Unless you're fortunate enough to live in the same place at least a couple years in a row, you pack everything up at the end of the school year and then you put it back in your car to come back in the fall. Right? You're no strangers to moving. But maybe not like Abraham moved. He left everything. He left his homeland, what he was familiar with. He left his entire family except for those that came with him and there he went all the way to a land that he knew nothing about. Isn't it amazing? The writer to the Hebrews sort of fills us in how Abraham could do this. He did it, the writer to the Hebrews says, by faith. By faith, Abraham went, obeyed and went to a land in which he had never been, a land he had never seen. You see, what Abraham trusted wasn't just that God had called him, but the promises that God connected to that call. Did you hear those? What an amazing thing. God didn't ask Abraham simply to blindly trust him. He connected to his call this cluster of promises. There were seven of them in all. That's what Abraham's faith was in, those promises that God had given him. The God who loved him also said, I'm going to take care of you. Here's how those promises went. I'm going to make you into a great nation. God took his time with that promise. Do you remember? 25 years after God called Abraham, he finally gave him his first child, the child that would later become the great nation of Israel. And then, I'm going to make your name great. As if that weren't enough, God continues. He said, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then one last promise. We'll talk more about this a little bit later in the sermon. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. That's what Abraham trusted, that huge cluster of promises that God had sent to him. I don't know if you've heard this phrase. I've heard this phrase often throughout my life. Just have faith. Have faith. Just believe. Anything's possible if you just believe. I don't know what to think about that phrase because there's certainly nothing wrong with the phrase in and of itself. But doesn't it beg a question when somebody says that? Just have faith. Shouldn't you ask in what or in whom? You, you can't have faith unless there's an object, unless there's something or someone that you're believing in. That's what Abraham knew. He knew who he was trusting in. The God who called him was the one who loved him. The God who called him was the one who was going to fulfill all of those promises. And, and your faith is the same. It's in that same God. The same God who has made you promises just like he has made to Abraham. The God who says, I will be faithful to every promise that I have ever given. 
That's the God we trust. That's the one in whom our faith is placed. And it's why Abraham could move. Listen to verse 4 through 7. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. I don't know how easy this was physically for Abraham, but he acted. Because of his faith in God and his promises, Abraham did what God asked him to do. He was 75 years old. And though Abraham is going to live another hundred years, and we have to assume, I think at least, that maybe they didn't age at quite the same rate that we do today, I don't think that could have been easy for anyone to pack up everything and move and go. I was reminded that as I was thinking about this, that, that it, one of our ministry stops, our family moved once from Portland, Oregon to La Crosse, Wisconsin, and we bought a house without ever seeing it. We actually arrived and walked through the house the day that we signed for it and then moved into the house. But people sent pictures. I knew a lot about lacrosse. People filled me in about what I was going to be doing and, and what the area was in which we were going to be living. Abraham got none of that. God said, I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to show you. And he arrived at Canaan, a, a place that he never had a permanent home in. Do you know that Abraham spent his entire life living in tents? He was a nomad moving from place to place. And the writer to the Hebrews helps us with this too. How could Abraham do such a thing when God called him away from his homeland? The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Abraham was looking for a permanent home somewhere else. Not on this earth, but a permanent home in heaven. And as he's walking through Canaan, God comes to him again and says, To your offspring I will give this land. And that's exactly what God did. Though Abraham never benefited from that promise, his offspring did. We hear what Abraham did in response to God giving these promises. He builds altars. Can, can you picture it? There's Abraham kind of getting a tour of the land that he's never going to own, but his descendants are going to. And at a couple different stops, he builds an altar and worships God. I wonder what the Canaanites thought. Who is this guy? What's that he's doing? He's building these stones. He's sacrificing animals. The smoke's going up to heaven. And do you see what that was? It was Abraham's testimony. It was Abraham's worship of God to say that this is the God who brought me here. This is the God who's going to keep me safe. No wonder scripture holds up Abraham as an example for our faith. So how are we doing? How is our faith as we look at the story of Abraham? And, and before I go much, too much further, if you read Abraham's entire story, you will see that he is not a whole lot different than you or me. He had his moments of weakness too. But boy, his faith is something to emulate, isn't it? Are we like Abraham? Do we hold God to his promises? Do we hang on to those promises of God and say, I'll be okay because God knows, because God is with me, because God has given me everything that I need. Maybe. But how? How do we do that when life seems to go off the rails? How do you do that when your health 
just doesn't seem to get any better. And you keep struggling with the same things over and over. How do you do that when you find out that school is going to cost you a little extra because you don't have enough credits to finish in four years and you're going to have to go four and a half? How do you do it when your finances seem to be a mess? How do you do it when a loved one dies? It's hard, isn't it? To hold on to those promises of God. A pastor I know always describes this in the same way. He says, that's how God helps us strengthen our faith. God helps us strengthen our faith by allowing us to go through trials because we flex our trust muscle. We're forced to go to God when things don't work out the way that we want them to and lean on those promises all over again. We have to hold on to what God says in his word because we see that the things of this world are not in our control. I can't stop things from happening that happen in my life, but I know where to go when they do. I know the one who's given me the promises that he has made. God made Abraham seven promises, so I found this chart this week. You can take it for what it's worth. It's not the only promises in the Bible. There are literally hundreds of them. But maybe that's your challenge for this week. Come up with your own list. I don't care if it's seven or 700. You can pick whatever number you want. But write them down on a piece of paper. Put them in your phone. Commit them to memory. Whatever you want to do, get those promises next to you, close to you, so that every time those temptations come, every time trouble seems to push you away from God, you can come back to those promises. Look at that list. What a great list. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I am your strength. I will always love you. I will answer when you call. I am with you. I will give you peace. I added the scripture references to the side of those if you want to know where those promises are found. But there are literally so many others that you could pick for your own life and what you're going through. Connect. Connect to that, those promises of God and, and hold on to those promises for dear life. That's what made Abraham do what he did. And then it all came down to one last promise, that last of the seven, the most specific of all of those promises, when God simply said this to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you and your offspring. Think about that for a minute. How is that even possible? How could one descendant of Abraham be a blessing to the entire world? There's only one answer to that question, isn't there? And it's a question that Scripture answers definitively when Jesus comes into the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. All nations on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. It's Jesus who came into this world to do everything that God knew was needed to save us. I love in the book of Galatians, his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul calls this Bible passage, all nations on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. He calls it the gospel in advance. And isn't that what it was for Abraham? He never saw it. He never knew that this descendant, his offspring was born, but he looked ahead in faith and said, here's what God's going to do. He's going to bring deliverance. God is going to deliver us from sin. He's going to deliver us from the struggles and the troubles of this life by sending his own son, a descendant of Abraham, promised again to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to David. Those promises kept coming to remind people that the Messiah, the promised Savior was coming. And don't we have a huge advantage? All of those people looked ahead to something that had not happened yet. 
And here we stand to look back on something that we know has been accomplished. That Jesus came and defeated Satan. That Jesus came and forgave all of our sins by his death on the cross. And that his resurrection gives us the sure hope of life with him. That's the exercise that we can do for our faith. Every time something happens that's not exactly how we planned, every time there's heartache or sorrow or problems in this world, we can go right back to those promises of God. Oh, yeah, he is with me. He's going to use all things for my good. It's God who knows exactly what's happening. And when we exercise that faith, when we rely on the promises of God, that's what gets us through the difficult times in this life, holding on to what God has said. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to have the same faith as Abraham, a faith that remembers, that remembers the promises that he has made, the promises that always will be fulfilled. Not a single promise of God to you will go unfulfilled. So hold on to those promises as God guides you to your home in heaven. Just a few takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, like Abraham, the word of God brings promises to us. I love how Solomon said it as he was dedicating the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. He says this, Not one good word of all of God's promises has not come true. Number two, like Abraham, our faith holds on to God's promises in all circumstances. Paul wrote it this way in Romans chapter 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that leads to number three. Like Abraham, we are most blessed through Jesus, his descendant, and our Savior. To, in his letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote this, No matter how many promises God has made, they are always yes in Christ. So here we are. The gift. The gift that is the perfect gift. The gift that is so special and exactly what we need in our Savior Jesus. Maybe the rumba wasn't a great idea. You guys can tell me later. But I know the gift that you have and the gift that I have the gift that came first to Abraham was promised to him and the gift that makes all the difference to us in our lives today. That special gift is your Savior, Jesus. And he gives you promises for this life. But even more, he gives you a promise that you are going to live with him forever in heaven. And those are promises we can count on. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus Amen.